tech is so cool and technology products are so cool mm -hmm. and i find you know i always joke around with my team that i feel like when we market tech products we're both their best friend and their worst enemy because we'll come in and say tell us the three things you love about what you're doing and the answer we'll get is hey we love 20 things we'll be like nope three <laughs> just three <laughs> Wing It Podcast, GooseDigital.com, episode 88. Who do we have? Kevin Butler. Chris O'Neill. Mike Leon. Michael Turksani. A guest. Mike Leon. Great to be here. Yay. <laughs> Is this our first in-person guest of 2023? Of 23. Of, of fiscal yeah. 23 slash yes. calendar 23? That's correct. Not no, not fiscal 23. No. Calendar, yes. Yeah, calendar, yes. I'm honored. I'm yeah. honored. Good to have That's you. why you gave me the good cream in the coffee today. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Only been there a bit. <laughs> yeah. See the back. Couple cream. weeks. <laughs> Couple weeks. weeks. But they're 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 hermetically sealed. So we're good. Um, yeah. Well, welcome aboard. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. As you know, our podcast is uh, really well attended, really well listened to. A couple of million views a year. So uh, yeah, we're gonna this we're gonna boost your brand up. All right, We're love by, it by by uh, going through this today. Um, <laughs> Most okay. importantly, I was going to say you're just going to have your LinkedIn feed blown up with these little snippets that we release. Oh, yeah. every three days. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be tagged in just all the time. <clears throat> oh yeah, We're going to be tagging it and promoting them, and uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. <laughs> oh, excellent! People could say they knew me when. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, before that. wing it and after wing exactly. it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, in fact, we got to go on your podcast. So that's another thing we got to do, right? Absolutely. Let's hook that up. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so cool. This is great. We wanted to do this for a while. We met, I don't know, how many years ago was that now? It's because with the COVID kind of oh, screw up, right? fall of 2019. So three and a half? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Been rolling, done some client work together, a couple clients, yeah. uh, shared clients. So maybe before we get into the topic, which is will be about brand and the impact of brand and 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 that on marketing performance mm -hmm. we want to we want to hear a little bit about brand heroes and and what you guys are focused on so why don't you give us an intro mike excellent all right the brand pitch well first off i read a lot of comics as a kid so that's kind of what <laughs> informed the name and kind of true to the name you know i always loved superman as a kid and you know i realized superman never showed up in good times it was clark kent superman only really showed up in mm -hmm. bad times help right the wrongs and then he flew away. And I always thought that was an interesting model for an agency, especially in a really fragmented world of agencies. So Brand Heroes was born out of the idea of staying vigilant, being there when we're needed. And when we're not, we kind of, you know, we, we, we put away the cape, we become Clark Kent, but we stay close enough that we can help out our clients as they need us. So what we really do is two main things. We build their brand and we tell their story. And every now and then we get to build their brand and tell their story. But we get to show up in those moments where clients really start to talk about who they are, mm -hmm. what they believe, and then what that means about how they actually engage customers and deliver some of the results that's most important to them. So that's really it in a nutshell. Yeah. You know, building and, off the um, <clears throat> the superhero tie-in, it's sort of like, don't you find brand is sort of the unsung hero of marketing? 100%. Like we were so quick to say it's performance marketing or it's the lead gen, it's the product or whatever. But really, if you don't have a great brand behind all of that, is probably not going to meet the expectations that you have. Well, you know what? Like I look at, you know, I look at my own history and I don't know about you guys, but like, you know, the years from about grade eight to grade 10 were probably pretty awkward. 
And I remember in grade 10, you know, I look back at this old picture of mine and I, and I bought these pants and I thought they were the greatest pants ever. And I'm like, everybody has these pants and they're going to love them. And I put on these pants for photo day and I'm like, these pants are not me. And I got laughed out and I kept that photo because that was my very first introduction into branding right there. It's like branding versus design. The design might be cool, but the brand does not support that at all. Right. Yeah, yet somehow you were wearing them. That's so crazy. <laughs> That's a good point. But so you're right. Like, you're right, Kev. Like it's uh, if it's one of those things that you can easily forget about. Yeah. Hey, everything mm-hmm. looks cohesive. Everything's fitting together here. Everything's like you know really at that high level from a brand perspective. And your and then your your marketing campaign does really well, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, you must have done a great job on lead generation. But it's just so important, I think. Not, and we definitely want to hear more from from Mike. He's the brand expert, but I just think every organization is a little different. Even if you're in a, a hyper concentrated technology vertical or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you have to tell the story to you. You can't tell the stories to someone else, and that's what you have to create. Yeah, and it starts with brand to that point. Well, it totally does. But you know, it's it's one of those things too that you know brands can function a little bit in the background, and it's easy to sort of believe that it's all good until it's not. And I think that's something we saw during COVID where brands were taking big, big inward looks. And some of them were actually having these massive existential crises because they were saying, look, like the bottom's falling out of the economy, the bottom's falling out of our sales funnel. We got to kind of look at who we are and what we ultimately believe. And then take that and bring that back up to the decisions we make from a sales standpoint and the decisions we make from an operation standpoint. Mm -hmm. And you know, from tech, it's always interesting because tech is so cool. And technology products are so cool. Mm-hmm. And I find, you know, I always joke around with my team that I feel like when we market tech products, we're both their best friend and their worst enemy because we'll come in and say, tell us the three things you love about what you're doing. And the answer we'll get is, hey, we love 20 things. We'll be like, nope, three, <laughs> just three. That's all we need. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe before we get too down into the, into the topic, let's uh, hear a little bit more about brand heroes, maybe from like a you know what i know you gave us the really cool background of the name but what got you into it and maybe how long have you been running it now because it's been certainly not a brand new agency right it's been around for a bit you guys have been doing this for a while now so maybe why what inspired you to kind of go agency world and how long you've been doing it for I don't know. I just seem to love pain. And just, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's good. <laughs> I just, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm allergic to, to peace, I think. Um, so it'll be actually 15 years wow. this coming September 29th. Good so for you. 15 years. And, and oddly enough, if we, we trace that back, our first official day with the shingle on the door was September 29th, 2008. So when the world was imploding financially, yep. I actually thought it was a great time to start an agency because a lot of the legacy relationships that define agencies totally went out the window during the recession. And, you know, not that it's our long-term strategy, but from a very short-term perspective, I felt like we could disrupt a little bit by coming in and saying, we're going to do work that's on par with your agency of record, but we're going to do it a lot cheaper. We're Mm -hmm. going to do it a lot more comprehensively. And by the way, half the staff that your agency let go is actually on our roster. So we can offer Mm -hmm. a lot of parity with that. Um, But what got me into brands specifically actually began before I could even call myself a marketer. I was uh, was working in television. I started off as a television producer and I was producing a show on YTV 
about video games called Video and Arcade Top 10. Oh yeah, yeah I remember, that. You guys remember that show. That show? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, that that was at one point in time. It was the longest running kids show in Canada. Yeah, and we had just passed, I think, our twelfth season. And up until that point, they only had one sponsor. It was always Nintendo, and they always played Nintendo games. Mm-hmm. And I got called into my boss's office, and she said, "Listen, I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is you're promoted." I'm like, "That's great. What's the bad news?" She's like, "Nintendo just pulled out." No. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to figure out what our next steps are and you got to rebrand the entire show. Oh, wow. So the first thing I did is I went and looked up what branding means because I had no <laughs> idea what she was talking about. <laughs> and then the second thing was it started making me kind of go down that, that path of thinking about, okay, you know, what is the brand of the show? Who is our audience truly? And gaming at that point in time was growing up significantly. So it wasn't mm-hmm. just about kids anymore. It was about adults and it was about the love that they had for the games. And gaming was also crossing over this really interesting chasm where it became multi-generational. So the games we all grew up with yeah. playing, now our kids are starting to play those games. So what, what I started to really fall in love with was this notion of an experience that I grew up with was more than just the experience of playing the game. It was so much more than that. Right. And that's what led me down the path of, of brands. And what led me to the agency world was that when I started kind of my own journey from creative into business, I kind of realized that that was a little bit of a rare thing in the industry, particularly in advertising. And I, I wanted a model that sort of flattened the relationship between the account side and the creative side and the strategy side. Mm-hmm. So Brand Heroes was sort of born to try and kind of flatten that structure so that all of those functions get in front of the client and we have the ability to bring them into the sandbox with us. So that's that's the long and short, really. That's really cool. I, if we get that as a little snippet, because I feel like that'd be a good snippet. Nice snippet. Can we get the YTV? Like, can we cut in some of that show? That logo as well. <laughs> or like even like it. a little version of like the show for like 10 seconds. Can we look at that? That'd be But sweet. you're right, Mike. Something in the story there they showed that the YTV example, it's a really good one is... The, the brand and the brand strategy has to be this ever delicate balance of what what is it that your audience like about you and what what do your audience sort of really resonate with where uh, balanced with where do you think the industry is going so in that example you're like okay well we're seeing multi-generational use now we're seeing uh a broadening of market because it's not just for kids anymore. It's now for, I don't know, teenagers, young adults, yeah. et cetera. Um, possibly even like family bonding time. I remember playing like Super Mario Brothers with my with my parents kind of thing in Duck Hunt yeah. back in the day. Yeah. So it's funny that you're like, it's, it's got to be that balance of what are we today and how do we resonate with our audience and where do we think it's going such that we're positioned properly. And if we go back to your COVID example, like I was trying to think of a company, but there's probably some organizations that are like, we're the ultimate in-person meeting company. And then COVID happens and you're just completely sideswiped by this black swan event. Yeah. And you're completely in the opposite side of where you want to be as a brand. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's hard to predict, but the, the evolving nature of your industry and offering is really key to brand. I love that example because that happened to WeWork and the WeWorks of the yeah. world. And, you know, we work, I mean, they, they went through all sorts of other stories. There are stories there. <laughs> that could be a separate podcast unto itself. But what was kind of neat, if you looked at the way the co-working spaces eventually kind of shifted their own positioning, 
was they went from being the ultimate in-person destination to now being the answer to what hybrid work should ultimately be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they got on side mm-hmm. with that really quickly during the pandemic because as organizations were starting to kind of recognize the needs of their staff and say that, look, like we have an office downtown, somebody's moved out an hour and a half away. They don't want to commute in three times a week to the office. That's where the WeWorks of the world were really able to shine. And that's where they were able to show up. And the brand helped get them there. I mean, it took a lot from an operation standpoint, a mm-hmm. lot from a sales standpoint. But I think the, what the brand did in that particular case is it helped draw a map that helped people sort of see what the present could look like and what the future could look like. And then you can map your operations right against that. Yeah. There's even some like minor repositioning that too, where it's like many companies were just canceling and pulling out of leases. And they yeah. said, well, we're not going back to that in the near term. But, you know, if you want a, uh, a short term sort of pop li- up or, yeah, whatever, like, um, or like limited liability mm-hmm. as opposed to like something way bigger, well, we could be a stopgap for you there. So that, that's smart positioning too and being really reactive to a pretty dynamic time. Totally. Yeah. And I wonder if this is maybe a good pivot into how, like what we're seeing. And I know Chris wants to ask some questions about the role, but when, the role that brand plays in, in, in really having a successful marketing campaign because it's bigger than just the campaign, right? But maybe that's a, a, a direction that we can head in because now nowadays we're seeing people kind of retool their marketing. You know, they've been operating kind of a the same way for a while now, and they're almost saying, okay, you know, we need we need better pipeline. We need to sort of reshape the, what we're doing from mm-hmm. a from a marketing perspective. In some cases, they're saying the revenue owner is going to be playing much a much bigger role in. The decisions that are that are happening from a marketing perspective and how we're going to align our marketing with our sales effort so at that point it's almost like well geez we might need to rethink a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. right before we start spending even more money on on uh, on marketing programs so maybe we can talk a little bit about you know the role that like you see like i think what we're seeing on the front line mm-hmm. where you might say you know what time out you know Guys, you should before we start getting even into more campaigning here. Let's take a step back and evaluate your brand and, and what's uh, what's occurring there. Yeah, I was just going to throw that in, throw in. Um, you know, we're going way back here to the times when you know sales and marketing had completely different you know uh, schedules or completely different uh, lunchrooms, etc. Yeah, um, and they were <laughs> like they were kind of like on opposite. They they were somewhat. Mm, there is there is there is a lot that they did not agree on. Put yeah. it that way, oh, okay. Yeah. And I'm sure 15 years in the business, you you remember those times. So now we've got a different kind of world where you know where it's 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 much more. It's not just acceptable, but like really critical mm-hmm. that that the two are speaking off the same song sheet. And then, you know, we deal primarily with um, with companies that maybe don't have the Nike, um, you know, the Nike name or that like the the large sort of, you know, name, you need to actually make a really good product, you know, your your brand has to be productive. And so I'm really curious about, you know, when you get into these conversations now where revenue is such an important part of the conversation, no matter what it is that you're making an investment or signing a PO for, how do you help an organization understand the the importance of a proper and appropriate sort of brand strategy you know it's a great question and if i can get like a little academic for a sec there's a theory that i love and michael you've probably heard me say this a bunch of times so i'm gonna apologize in advance for (laughs) saying it again 
But it was created by a, a Harvard professor, legendary Harvard professor named Fedor Levitt. And it goes something like this. Marketers sell the drill, consumers buy the whole. And <laughs> when you kind of strip it back, what I kind of like to think about that is, unless you're a huge fan of drills, and even if you are, you're still not buying the drill. But most of the time, what are you actually buying? Like if you're going mm. to buy the drill and you're putting up a picture or you're putting up a TV or you're putting a board in your dock so that your kids could have these fun memories jumping off the dock at the cottage, the drill becomes the enabler of that experience. And this is a hard lesson for a lot of product marketers because it's easy to fall in love with the product. Mm -hmm. It's easy to fall in love with the technology. But at the end of the day, what really matters is that hole and the experience that that hole enables. Mm -hmm. So I think where it becomes an interesting conversation kind of mirroring brand up with sales is to kind of talk through salespeople about what are you actually selling at the end of the day? Sure. You know, and what are people actually buying at the end of the day too? Mm -hmm. Because every buyer is accountable to their consumers, to their internal audiences. And there sort of comes a point where the tangible product kind of, I don't want to say it no longer becomes important because it's very important, but it doesn't become the full story. And brand helps kind of round out that story, but brand by itself also isn't enough too. So I think the relationship with branders and salespeople is so important because you have to bring those those two together. So that, that that's kind of where I see that headed. And I think that kind of almost goes to part of what you'd brought up at the beginning where the unsung hero and, and potentially even... Uh, a bit of criticism that product marketers might have over brand marketers to be able to say like, Hey, well, you know, that's not really getting us anywhere. Right. It's too, it's too disconnected from what we're at. So I think there's maybe what you touched on was like that balancing act or that connection point where it's like, yeah, we're not just, you know, we're still a drill company, you know, we're, we don't want people to be confused that we're selling paintings, right. you know, or, or we're not a dock company. But it's it's telling that story in such a way that those connection points are there. And I think maybe even more to your point about the sales component where ultimately the sales team needs to understand it. You know, it can't be so out there that, you know, they revert to, well, hey, this thing's got a three and a quarter inch chuck. And is that what they call it? A chuck on a drill? A chuck? Remember that? And I don't know a thing about drills. You don't? Jeez. You're way, You're way handier than it's I It's only am. holes. Nothing about drills. Yeah. You know, and it's a half horsepower. You know what I'm saying though? Like the, yeah. I think, I think that's part of it. Oh, hundred percent it is. And you know, I think about, and you know, hopefully I'm not calling out any clients of yours with this, but a few years ago we switched our accounting platform. We went from fresh books to QuickBooks. And, you know, there was a million reasons why we needed to do it. And our accountant basically told us to do it. And he said, on a product level, QuickBooks is going to give you a lot more features. But on our brand level, with FreshBooks, you yeah. know, they have this beautiful imagery. It's all woodland creatures. Super modern. Yeah. Super modern. This great mission. And, you know, it stuck with me. You know, being a brand guy, I bought into it hook, line, and sinker. And I mm. remember when I moved over to QuickBooks, they didn't have any of that. Mm. So I felt like I was disconnected from the mission. Yeah. yeah. And even though from a product basis, I would suggest QuickBooks is probably a, a superior product, it actually created a larger um, learning curve for me. Mm -hmm. So on a tangible level and on a sales level, when it came time to look at upgrading the product, I was actually really resistant to doing it because I didn't feel that same affinity to it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, a you know just one of many examples where a brand-based problem could meet a very real sales-based problem as well. And the two could potentially help each other out a little bit. 
hundred percent. Yeah. Like I think of that example in particular around, you know, QuickBooks and being so such a large organization, you right. know, mm-hmm. and, um, but there's a lot of like sort of, um, like emotional representation there. It's like, well, now we're growing up. We're not on like the cool, fun, more connected mm-hmm. platform. Now we're in the QuickBooks, which is a, a lot bigger shoes to fill. And now we're a real business. And like, there's yeah. so many additional thoughts that might seep through your your brain there, where you're like, okay, it's time to. It's take almost this like more it's al- yeah. It's almost like was that a deliberate positioning point where yeah. you know, hey, we want to be perceived as more of an enterprise product, so we're taking all that stuff away, or or was it just a lack of brand vision to your point where, you know, Intuit doesn't have that? Because, I mean, they bought MailChimp, right? Right. And, and MailChimp had that, I think, more of what you're describing that... Um, well, more recently, but I actually wonder if it was the opposite, if that's kind of always how QuickBooks saw themselves. Because they're like, well, look, we're kind of like a, a bigger business mm. accounting solution. And then FreshBooks as the, the younger company, the two, says, mm. hey, this is our entry point to small and medium business. And we think we can differentiate in part on some of these kinds of things. What's really cool is that, like, I mean, the accounting background is that QuickBooks was the small player right. for the longest time. Right. Um, sure, and so, sure. which, which yeah. leads yeah, me to the 100%. question that I, I had for you earlier today, which is, so you must get in conversations with companies that are like, um, you know, we are, we've been this thing for whatever period of time that we've been, you know, by accident or on purpose or whatever. Um, and, you know, we're kind of like in a bit of a stale, kind of a stale state. Um, what kinds of things would sort of indicate that it's time for a rebrand? You're talking about the superhero, like good times, bad times. Mm-hmm. When, mm. what kind of things do you sort of talk to a client about when it's, when it's maybe time to consider a rebrand and how do you kind of help them into that to decision like in terms of what's the um you know what's the result of a of a rebrand right right so there's so many it's a great question there's so many indicators i think one of the big ones is who are you seen as versus who you really are and who you can be mm-hmm. and who you can kind of grow into Mm-hmm. And there's some wonderful examples of these legacy heritage brands that have been around for years, but they're really known for one thing, even though they do a lot of different things. And that's a point where that could be one indicator that either a rebrand or a refresh is interesting because mm-hmm. you look at like from a dollars and cents standpoint, nobody wants to leave money on the table. But when it comes down to it, if people know you for X and you say, okay, well, you love us for X. Imagine if you knew about Y and Z and they said, nope, I know you for X, you're X. I'm going to go over here for Y and Z. Mm-hmm. And you're like, but we do these things better. We're, we're, we're doing them way better. We're putting in this investment. And they're like, nope, know you for X. And the challenge becomes too that if you, if you invest in more of those other lines of businesses, you could run the risk of cannibalizing the one that you know really mm-hmm. well too. Mm-hmm. So from a portfolio standpoint, it becomes, it becomes a little bit of a risky game. So where brand can can help with that, and they're by no means the only player in this equation, but it's to start to kind of take a look at your total value proposition as an organization, Mm -hmm. where you drive meaningful, unique value, and then start to kind of carve that up into your product offerings and your segments. And that might be the moment you might kind of suggest, maybe we do need to explore a brand. Maybe our brand isn't big enough to support where our dreams have gone as a company and where we've started kind of punching above our weight. 
And actually, we just rebranded, and that was a big reason why we did because mm -hmm. you know we had some success in one area, but we had a lot of other areas that we wanted to explore, and we just felt like at that point it wasn't a believable enough story to the marketplace right. why we're here. Right, right. So or, we needed to change yeah, the story. Really interesting. Another, another. I was actually just listening to an, uh, it was a podcast with uh, you know the company Zapier. Mm -hmm. or sorry, Zapier. I always got the name wrong, but they were talking about that too, and and what they sort of said was. And it's kind of built on what you're saying is they, they realized that the brand they'd established and kind of grown up with now didn't meet their user base and how their user base thought of them and where they were taking yeah. um, their solutions. So they felt like we almost had to level up to where the market now sees us. And we yeah. felt like we couldn't actually grow with some of these companies that have grown if we didn't materially change how we present ourselves. Totally. And that's a great part of it, too, that, you know, your brand is for yourself. But it's also for your customers too, because it's it's a very like-minded kind of relationship. Oh have. man, just like the FreshBooks example, you Absolutely. were connected with it. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. and you know, like Apple's one of the biggest biggest proponents of this too. Mm. And you know, a lot of people on the Apple bandwagon say like this is way beyond a product. It's who they are. It's mm. who they. It's identify an ecosystem. With. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's tricky too because you get into some pretty sensitive issues around rebrands too because. You know, your team, depending on how long they've been in the organization, they might have a lot of heart and affinity for who you were, mm -hmm, and sure. they don't necessarily want to see that change. And they're part of what that brand has now become, yes. right? They've yeah. contributed to it. Totally, totally. Same with your customers. Like, if you have legacy accounts, you know, you're also worried about how that customer is going to feel if suddenly they see you differently. Mm -hmm. And are they going to want to be there? And, you know, the example you bring up is an, is an amazing one because... I think about like, if I'm thinking in my head, what are all their different accounts that they have? And what are the age of those accounts? What kind of, what, what kind of socialization would they have had to do before they launched that rebrand to those account mm -hmm. teams to make sure they're comfortable with that? Because you don't want to alienate them in any way. Yes. Yeah. Something that we, we joke about a bit too, uh, on like sort of like the B2B side, in, in particular, it's usually like software and tech companies is, you know, there's, there's all sorts of M&A all the time. Right. And there is what we call like the, the classic three steps <laughs> for the acquisition. So first it's the acquisition. There's no changes, parent company and other company. And then very quietly it becomes um, child company by parent company or powered right. by. And then eventually it kind of gets to a point where now, now the child company's just sucked up under. It's the new cloud <laughs> of the parent company. Yeah. And that all happens. And they're in, like a page on the website. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And that's a <laughs> 18 to 24 month process. And it's like the classic way to do it. Like, what are your thoughts around how would you, how would you assess doing that? What would the structure or process you'd be um, in doing that properly? Like, what are the steps, I guess, at a high level? You know, it's, it's so funny because like, I mean, I geek out on this sort of stuff, but like, if I think about like, what are, what are some of the more contentious conversations you can have with someone over a beer or a coffee? That's one of them. Because like if, <laughs> politics, branding, yep, politics, branding, weather, <laughs> hockey, you know, yeah. But like, if you're purchasing an organization, you're purchasing them for so many different different reasons, uh -huh. and you know, sometimes there's so many different questions that kind of come into it. But the reality is, is there's huge equity in that brand. But then, as you try and kind of merge it within the organizational structure, the question kind of becomes: Do we leave that alone? Do we let it sort of play on its own a little bit? Do we, like I look at Kudo within the Telus environment. Mm -hmm. Kudo for years was like this cool, funky brand. They wore neon colors. You just want to leave that brand alone. You want them to do yep. their thing. You don't want to call it Kudo by Telus. You, and Telus has huge equity in its own right. 
but it's two very different missions. It's two very mm -hmm. different kind of personalities. Yeah. And you don't really want to cross the streams to use a Ghostbusters reference. Yeah. But then as you start to fold it in a little bit and you think, okay, well, what are, what are some potential synergies from a sales standpoint? What are some potential operational efficiencies? Is there some liability for us in actually keeping that brand separate? And mm -hmm. are we actually mm -hmm. starting to lose equity as an organization? Because of it, yeah. Yeah, is the child brand starting to actually get more powerful than the parent brand? And that's where maybe where you might want to start bringing that in a little more and kind of bringing that in. I think that's a great call because we see a lot of time, like it's the, uh, it's the larger companies who are acquiring the more nimble ones in part because it's a, a bit of a future protection or a future proofing, right? Yeah. And you know, you guys like you talk about like Salesforce, for example, like I remember years ago, like in like the Radiant 6 acquisition. Yes. You know, yeah. Good Canadian company. Yeah. And you know, Halifax, that was right, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I think for a while, they, they let them keep their name, didn't they? Yeah, for, for, yeah, for a bit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But then eventually, it just got kind of folded into the structure a little bit. I think now it's just like it's the social arm of marketing cloud, I think. Because they combine Radiant 6 with um, some other a few other kind of social tools as well. I can't even name them all, but... Um, and at the time, yeah. you know, Radiant 6 felt like sorcery. Like, you know, mm -hmm. in, in my circles, it's like, oh, Radiant 6. It's like this thing you look up at, you're yeah. like, this is amazing. Oh, no, you're right. That's exactly it. But when the name got taken away, I thought, oh, okay, well, there we go. It's just something else. It's just another set of tools out there. And the equity, for me, kind of got totally sucked away from that. I'm sure there was strategy oh, yeah, behind 100%. it. Yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, you see that, like, I think we, we saw that with a couple of their acquisitions, right? Mm -hmm. Like people really bought into, maybe it was, maybe it was partially timing in the, in the industry, because like you said, it was magical or it was like sorcery. I think a lot of the tech tools at that time were sort of viewed that way. Yeah. Like, wow, I can actually do this with a, an exact target or a, or a, or a whatever. So the marketers were like, dude, like we use this tool and then all of a sudden it gets bought by Salesforce yeah. or an acquirer and you're like, ugh, so yeah. this speaking is weird, of, right? So speaking of Salesforce, um, there's one in particular rebrand I'm very curious to watch. And I think what we've seen over the last, I want to say five years, could be a bit more, is we've seen the sort of the, the explosion of like the dominance of tech yeah. into like consumer world, right? And the one that's really interesting to me is Slack. Mm. Huge acquisition by any metric you especially price tag. So Slack has become this thing. It's a verb. It's almost like Kleenex now. Yeah. Slack me this, Slack me that, right? Yeah, yeah. Watch me on my Slack channels. And so I don't, I'm not going to say that they're bigger than the Salesforce universe, like you were saying before, but you can't just roll Slack under the, the comms cloud. No. Like, and so how no, do you, you deal cannot. with that? I think <laughs> this, that one's going to be fascinating. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I'd, I'd love to sort of dive deeper. Maybe you guys can provide some insights around maybe the rationale between that acquisition. But to me, in some ways, Slack almost seems like the opportunity to make Salesforce kind of cool. And Salesforce is cool in its own right, but like but Slack. Not, yeah, but not as cool as Slack. Not Slack cool. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've got their trailheads and they've really tried to push the woodland creatures and yeah. you know they've salesforce has really tried hard to sort of make it more than just a corporate entity like i think they're probably one out of the people that they compete with that's done the most to sort of easily. you know pull that right easily yeah and slack has that cultural element to it it's reached that point as a brand as, and as an iconic brand that it just becomes part of a behavior even if you're not using slack you're right it is the kleenex and it's funny because, like, you know, we're a Google shop through and through. 
and we had talked as an organization about whether we bring Slack into our, our workplace. And with Google, within their stack, you have access to Google Chat, yeah. which is basically like Slack without any of the cool. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I also think that like, it's so interesting when you brought up this whole Salesforce, and I know we're like deviating a little bit on the discussion, but at one point, bringing in Salesforce was the cool thing to do. Yes. Right? Like, right, Chris? Oh. Like, you know, like you're competing on ERPs or CRMs and like the cloud-based CRM. Listen, you had to convince people that it was okay to put your data up there. Right. That, so was, that was a huge deal. That was like deal. the cool thing. And yeah. then I think to, to the point now, it's like, there's an element where like Salesforce is not cool. Like, you know, it, it doesn't have that same... It like has it become did. a bit more bulky. But then I'm thinking, what's Slack? Slack is the new way that many... Mm-hmm. organizations are are communicating mm-hmm. are, are 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 exchanging information internally externally right so yeah. it's like that's almost like the new cloud-based crm that they had that cache they had 15 years yeah. ago where some people are like violently against slack right we've seen this we're not using slack like send an email you know what i mean like, just send mm-hmm. an email mm-hmm. you know i think now maybe with covid sort of push that a little bit more where Google Chat and other things have become, you know, better. But you know, people be like, "We're not. No, we don't need that. We don't need that." And then yeah. like, you see these other organizations like, "No, like this actually really helps our workflow. This is a game changer for us yeah. as an organization." Right? Emotional. It's like, emotional. It's emotional. It was. It was emotional back when Salesforce came out with, "Hey, it's all safe in the cloud." It was emotional for a lot of people Hugely. to, you know, to to sort of like open that door and say, "You know what? I'm I'm going to be okay with this." At Hugely some point. emotional. Yeah. But, you know, what you're pointing to, and Michael, I like the way you said this, that Salesforce back in the day was cool. Yeah. And it makes me think about my kids, because I've got a nine-year-old daughter. Mm. And, you know, at the best of time, my jokes might land maybe three out of ten times. But, you know, with her and her friends, they land like zero out of ten times now, right? <laughs> and it makes me realize that that's, that's the journey of a lot of legacy brands. You might think you're cool. You might think you're hip. You may very well be cool and hip. But as you grow up and you accumulate more responsibility brands also adult the way that we do right and expectations around that and they got to realize that you know if if they want to grow if they want to continue to be in that dominant position they got to be the adult and they got to leave the hipster stuff to some other brands and that's where like a slack acquisition makes sense because they can be cool but they could be cool through slack and they could use slack as a tip of the spear kind of funnel for them to bring people into it yeah particularly the markets that really resonate with slack but then as they come in through slack they can stay for the power of Salesforce. Grow them up, yeah. It's still emotional, but it's a, it's sort of like you guys remember like the old Carlsberg years campaign of "Welcome to your Carlsberg years." Oh, yeah, yeah. You know that was <laughs> that was a great campaign for people coming out of school, which I was at the time. But then there gets to a point where it's like, you know what, my Carlsberg years are done. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was hilarious. Um, well, guys, it's been thirty minutes. What else do we want to talk about? We we had a few items that we wanted to talk about. Like I think, Mike, I'm curious to get your take. How do you think of like what's the role of brand in, in like lead generation? Like a lot of our clients are they're focused on lead generation. It's yeah. sort of the the number one priority of marketing and sales together. How do you think of brand and what kind of role does it play there in campaign or performance success? It's a fantastic question. I think the brand creates a lot of the foundation for the lead gen work to really do its work. Mm-hmm. Like for example, like I think about like if you're putting an acquisition campaign out there and you want someone to click right through to a lead gen form, you're maybe going to have 
what, three to four seconds of their time? You know, and you got to get them in that headspace where they're ready to do that. They're ready to take that action. Yes. But in order to get them to that point, they will have had to go through all sorts of other stages of the funnel. I have to know who you are. They will have had to engage with you on some Most of those would be dark or non-attributable. Like, we can't measure it. We have no idea. Right. But you know if it's not there. Because it's like, you know, and sorry, guys, I'm bringing up high school way too often. But it's like (laughs) if you, like, you know, ask someone on a date... And they're not ready to say yes. You're screwed. We talk about that so much. I'm sorry to cut you You're off. With our campaigns. Like a lot of our clients, because there's pressures um, and I'll just call it impatience, but everyone wants to generate right away. Of course. But it's like, you can't go for the kill right away if they don't know who you are and how to view you in context to some of the problems they may be having or challenges. Uh, absolutely. Mm. And, you know, and it's hard, right? Because you have so many competing pressures in an organization. You know, you have to make your sales, you have to make your numbers. But at the same token, I think back to the idea that, you know, nobody wants to leave money on the table. I feel like, and Chris, I'd love to get your perspective on this. I've never felt like personally, anybody I've seen has fully realized the potential of their sales funnel. Like there's, there's always opportunities they can grow a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from a lead gen perspective, if there is lead gen opportunities that are very natural for them. Take those. If there's some where they're not at that point yet to go for a lead gen type of scenario, but they're more in consideration, they're more in awareness, take those. But there's plenty of opportunity to kind of grow your funnel and grow your business. And I think brand shows up in all three of those areas. But with Mm -hmm. lead gen in particular, it becomes the conscience. It's the great gazoo sitting on your shoulder saying, are you actually ready to actually do this? Are you ready to kind of go in for that lead right now? Yeah. Yeah, what do you think, I, Chris? I like the, the the concept of the message going all the way through the entire mm. uh, pipeline. I think that's really, really important. How important it is to, you know, the, the brand visual, the brand message, the messaging that's coming out of sales, going back full circle to what we started with, which was that, that sort of integration of sales and marketing, um, you know, being, you know, um, cooperative on the, on the message, right? Well, you know, I was thinking... Um, I don't know, a few years now, ABM, like the rise of account-based marketing has kind of done this too and exposed like this, like what we've all known, there's a gap between marketing and sales. And so now we need marketing or sales and marketing alignment. And what we've decided appropriately, I suppose, is we need to rebrand that effort. So now we've (laughs) called it, it can't be MOPS because it's still got marketing in its name. So now we're like, it's revenue ops. And at (laughs) least we can both agree that if we're we being marketing and we being sales, if we can agree that our goal together is to sell more, we're okay with revenue ops. And that's like the ultimate rebrand here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's sexy sounding. But, you know, it's kind of polarizing too because like I, you know, I have some colleagues that I've done some work with that when you say the words performance marketing and these are branders and they'll be like, come on, like branding's performance marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then performance marketers will say, no, it's not. That, that is a touchy <laughs> one. And even, oh, yeah. even like the cutting edge marketers, they're like, oh, performance marketing was so three years ago. No one talks like that anymore because yeah. it's sort of, it assumes that you're just going for the MQL. Yeah, we don't yeah. do MQLs. Yeah, anymore. we got to rebrand. Yeah, we yeah. got to rebrand Goose Digital now. Okay. But, but but I also think one of the things you guys were talking about, you and Chris, was that like I think the we we forget that our message doesn't land the first time. Right. Right. So sometimes you're like, oh, I got to come up with like 15 different messages here, right? And it's like, well, you know, they probably didn't really get it the first three or four times that right. you put it in front of them. So right. like a crazy example of, of, a, of a rug company that, because we bought one rug and my wife was saying that, oh, you know, I get like four or five emails from them in two days. Like at one point there was like four in a day. 
on whatever they were doing. But essentially when I looked at them, it was like they have these events that occur and mm -hmm. what they're doing is they're like reiterating, Hey, by the way, this event is going on, mm. you know, don't miss the, like it, it was, as I looked through them, it's like, this isn't like four or five unique Right. messages and this is a campaign basis i realized a little bit different than what we're talking about but generally speaking they were just reiterating that that brand proposition that that right. campaign proposition multiple times because they know oh i saw that once on linkedin or facebook i i didn't i didn't really digest that right and i think that's partially a big hmm. a big i think thing for people to understand that it's easy to just come up with eight or nine different ten different yeah. value props and spit them out there and it's like well i don't know that you know they got it on the first one or two so down the funnel to your point of like consistency and reiterate i think that's, that's right. really really <laughs> something to take away here from a, from a branding it's it's an interesting example because I wonder like for your wife when she saw email number one versus like the last email what was her patience level to that company? You know it, I I asked that too and I thought she's like oh no I, I just get I just get those but you know I get those messages it wasn't like an issue for her and I right. thought well that seems like a lot to me but no but I know it's a St Patrick's Day event that they're having and it's it's all so good it's, it's timely but it's also like she's sort of in market for a rug right so i guess she's looking at this and like this is actually kind of helpful to my decision making right now yeah and it, i think what's probably was different i didn't ask this but like i'm sure from email one to email four or five she now understood what was going on i bet you by email one she didn't it was like oh, okay in and out right, right. she's a rug expert now yeah, yeah she's a rug <laughs> she expert. could tell for them yeah <laughs> But uh, I, I found that was uh, kind of interesting. So question for you guys then, not not to take over your podcast, but just curious oh, your yeah, thoughts on do. this. At what point does gamification kind of play a role in that customer journey there? Mm. Well, we've done some. Question. I mean, we've done we've done some um, uh, with uh, with with clients before. I <laughs> think I I think it's generally been more uh, for um, for consumer, like for for you know, B2C kind of stuff right, right, so right. far. Um, depends though, right? Um, one of, um, it depends on the use. So like, what are the goals of the campaign, I guess? And even then, how are you thinking about depicting it? Like there's a few um, technologies I can think of where they almost gamify the onboarding. Yeah. So after you've um, either bought your subscription or maybe you're doing a trial, they're trying to step you through, well, if we can get you through these three modules of you'll our platform, a, yeah. you will see the value. So they almost gamify, get your star here, get your thing there. I mean, Trailblazer is probably the biggest gamified yeah. B2B um, yeah, experience, it, experience yeah. you could yeah. have. So I think it, it does depend. The majority of our engagements are around lead generation or, or like supporting rev ops. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there is less gamification there. I think, though, as a sort of bridge to that, something that we've seen a bit when we're talking about educational or nurture campaigns for audiences, it's less so gamified, but it's more like, well, this is email one of a four email series. And sometimes we'll even have like a little uh, sort of status bar. You know, it's like block two is highlighted because that's the second email. Yeah, yeah. Just try to set the expectation. There are three more of these. Sometimes we've experimented with, you're getting them for the next four Tuesdays and we can kind of wire up the sequence. But that's interesting because like you made me think about like for your example about even kind of showcasing for someone if they come in at a premium model for software and then showing them what waits for them if they upgrade yeah it almost feels like the gamified element to that is just fear of missing out mm. yeah and i and i think part of what you're touching on i think is really interesting because we do a lot of customer marketing as well so we kind of like i think a big part of 
our business is at the top end, you know, and then like from a lead generation, there's nurturing, obviously we're doing all those types of steps, Right. but then it's at the bottom end. It's like, Hey, you've got a whole bunch of customers. And I made me think when you're talking about gamification, that, that, that means so many things, right? To me, it almost feels like a way to interact with the brand that is fun and, and not necessarily, um, has to be tied to like a status bar. So I think right. of like Wordle, right? You know, we all got hooked on that that thing. <laughs> still am. You know, yeah, yeah still am. <laughs> I could see almost like some of our clients that have, you know, 50,000, 100,000 customers a year doing something like that from a brand perspective. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, we, we do a game every two weeks and we're sending it to you. And it's something kind of like a Wordle experience where the, the, the person receiving that would be like, hey, this is just a totally cool thing that I'm doing. And maybe you do garner points and you get a little bit of like, hey, I'm a top 10 Wordle for X, X um, brand. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. But it's, it's purely around top of mind awareness of that brand and, and, and keeping you connected to that organization. So I think that there's like, let's say the rug example. Hey, yeah. we got a rug puzzle. Yeah. And you're you're sliding them around and it's rugs and so it reveals fun. a cool, cool. you know, that's and it's something you can do twice a week or, t- or sorry, twice a month. It is and cool. It's, and you're creating those associations right away. And you're also turning the customer into your marketer because yeah. you're feeding them that's all your important language yeah. right off the top. I love it. But you know, you think of the movement now and this it's going to go more this way, especially with the macro economy stuff yeah. is the big thing now in, in B2B is product-led growth. Yes. Um, and I think the days of, you know, the subscription stuff, whether it's like per mm-hmm. user per mm-hmm. month mm-hmm. times a uh, hundred years, cause that's the contract or whatever else that's going away in part. And it's going to be more about, well, how much of the platform are you using? Mm-hmm. And as the product led motion, it's more like stepping them through. Well, yeah. Getting start them off using at the lower it. tier, yeah, for get sure. them up. And I think the gamification will become a really important part 100% of like PLG and where that goes. So B2B, I think that's Wait, a really what's hot PLG? What's PLG? Product-like growth. Oh, poof, poof. But you know, fr- from a PLG Ooh. standpoint, oh, I love see, that. I'm trying to use your oh, vernacular so I remember it. <laughs> the brand, I think, plays such a role in that because if you want people to expand their share of product, yeah. you got to show them the moments in their life where that can actually show up for them in a much, much mm. bigger and much more comprehensive way. Like we use Sprout Social for our social. And it made me realize, right, we need to actually layer up and, and upgrade our, our plan to be able to include a whole bunch of functionality that they've built onto it that I didn't actually realize they even have. Yeah. And so when that's I that's it. Yeah, that's yeah. totally it. And it's funny because it was the easiest sales call ever because I didn't need selling on it. All I needed was to actually read the emails they've been sending me for the last few years to realize that it's there. <laughs> yeah. And let's face it, if you get like a, hey, you're now the Sprout Elite not even from a plan perspective, but like, because like what you're saying, product led growth, we, we can tell that you're using these areas of the system. Right. You're a, you're a sprout elite, uh, domain or brand on our platform oh, can you that makes you feel good it's and like hey i'm using everything that's yeah. in here i'm not oh i'm, I'm, super f- I'm four out of five but <laughs> I hear why am that? i four out of five and i'm like then the whole community marketing element really takes off. It's like, well, we have these conferences. We're going to showcase you as one of our elite. premier elite partners. We'd love you for you to come speak. But what a way thing. for them to introduce other features too. Yeah. Like, oh, I was a five out of five for a year and Sprout just dropped another element and now I'm a four and a half out of five. Well, wait, wait, why? Right? I want to. Well, maybe Sprout Social is super smart and they're like, we're going to take all of our elites. We've got this new thing we're rolling out. Let's have them pilot it first, get some high quality feedback. Yeah. And then you we can bridge you into now you're the six out of six functionality right yeah. totally totally and there's a whole bunch of people like you that will yes. resonate with yeah. that type of that oh type man of and self. you're just gonna I, that's all i want to be around and yeah, like these cool. like-minded people and and 
maybe to, to round it out full circle is <laughs> that's like the brand affinity, right? Yeah. You're forever going to be locked into that because this is me, who I am, my community, my organization. It's a, it's a huge part of the things I do for this organization. And Love it. you're just now completely one to the brand. And thus, brand marketing is super important. Guys, I think you got <laughs> I think you got to invoice Sprout Social for this because yeah. you just drove value for them. 100%. Yeah, let's get them on the podcast. We've also got some PLG <laughs> ideas for marketing. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to open up a PLG division, a gamification PLG division. Right on. Um, all right. I think we're, 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 we're really happy with this 40-minute, 40 45-minuter. This is the longest one we've done in a while. 50 minute or oh, 50. Holy, holy. We should have wrapped up. I want talking about the other. I want stuff. 700 clips, okay, out of this podcast. No. Can we do uh, a telethon? We'll just we'll talk for the next day. Yeah, can we get a caller? We'll take a caller online too. That's a great idea. We should do that. Um, all right. Well, I think probably next will be on your podcast. Absolutely. Lots of really good stuff. We could probably be riff on this stuff forever. Mm. But really, thanks for coming down, Mike, and spending some Thank time you. with us. and. Thanks, Frank. Um, I know, it was a lot of fun. I know our customers and probably co-customers are going to get some value off this to- this uh, conversation today. So that's wild. Really appreciate it, guys. It was fun. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Let's go for lunch. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>